0: In. I am Malfoyer and you are listening to the latest episode of your third favourite above average but infinitely curious podcast, Dime's Out. And to be even more specific, you're listening to the season four finale. And I hate to say it, the last episode for a little while. Now, how long a little while is, I honestly cannot tell you at this moment. But um, yeah, this is not just the finale for the season it's going to be the last episode for as i say a little while as much as i love doing these digging into all sorts of interesting areas and talking to absolutely fascinating people i do need a little bit of a break i've also got a few things that have kind of been lurking in the shadows that have kind of been neglecting project wise so yeah i need a little bit of time for myself and a little bit of time to tackle some of those things and finally get some of them completed. But hopefully I'm going to be leaving you guys on an absolutely massive high. In our season four finale we're going to be taking a look at a story that I first encountered many many years ago and since then it's taken up a reasonable amount of space in my head. It is a story that I will always try and crowbar into conversations whenever there is a chance and it's something that has been on my list of possible podcast topics for the show since well pretty much since I decided to do the podcast in the first place. It's a story that embodies both the best and the worst of humanity. It's a story that has tested the very limits of one individual over the course of 15 months. And it is a story that embodies ridiculous levels of endurance and cruelty. Now, there's a chance that you do know this story, at least to some degree. But hopefully you don't. And hopefully all of this is completely new to you. Either way, this is a story that sounds too ridiculous to be true. Yet it is. In our Season 4 finale, we're going to be taking a look at the story of Nasubi and his prize life. What are you doing? Nasubi. Over the years, especially in the 90s, Japan earned itself somewhat of a reputation in the West for putting out a variety of eccentric and in some cases just downright weird TV shows, in particular quiz shows and challenge-based game shows. In this episode, we're going to be diving into what is probably, actually no, there's no probably about it, the most baffling, demented and psychologically damaging quiz show ever broadcasted on public television. Denpa Shonen. Tekki Kensho Saikatsu, which loosely translates to prize contestant life, prize life, or sweepstakes life. There's various sort of translations that I've found, but for ease, I'm just going to refer to it from this point on as prize life. It is also worth pointing out at this point to any new listeners, I am incredibly skilled when it comes to butchering the pronunciations of reasonable English words, never mind Japanese ones. You know, this is something that long-term listeners have sadly become accustomed to, but for newbies, uh, yeah, you've been warned. Now, before we go steamrolling into the absolutely batshit insane world that was the 15 months of Nasubi's prize life, I should explain that prize life itself was just one season and one concept of the controversial TV show, Susunu, Dempa Shonen, which roughly translates in English to Do Not Advance Signal Youth. Or, as I've seen it elsewhere, Don't Go For It, Electric Boy, which is not only an infinitely better title, but it also sounds like the kind of new rave band The Enemy would have been creaming themselves over in 2006. And if you've no idea what new rave is... Yeah, it it was... it was a moment... During its life cycle, don't-go-for-electric-boy became synonymous for creating high-concept challenges that were beyond ridiculous. In Denpe Shounen's Desert Island Escape, two comedians were put on a desert island with no food nor clue about where the hell they were and were told only that their ordeal would finish if they built a raft and reached Tokyo. After their escape from the desert island, which took them four months, they were given a swan-shaped pedalo, and were told to reach Tokyo with it, and then go with the same pedalo from India to Indonesia in Demper Shonen's Vertical Africa Europe. <laughs> in oh my god, in Demper Shounen's Vertical Africa Europe Continental Hitchhike, which by the way is the worst name for a TV show ever. It is telling you everything about it in a really long, ridiculous title. Anyway, I digress. In that show. <laughs> A comedian and a radio DJ hitchhiked from the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa to Nordkap in Norway. The two contestants were forbidden to use their travel money and thus faced starvation, dehydration and harsh weather conditions. And at one point in the challenge, one of the contestants collapsed in the Sahara Desert and was airlifted to a local hospital for treatment. Now... At this point, it is worth mentioning that accusations have been leveled at the producers of Denpa Shonen and that there have been claims that the depictions of the hitchhiking challenge were not entirely authentic and that the production team did on occasion intervene by providing travel for the contestants between certain points, which, if true, is completely understandable. I mean, after all, they are making a TV show and although the focus is on the challenge, at the end of the day, they're looking to create a narrative and no doubt foster viewer engagement and support for their unfortunate contestants. Plus, also, you know, they don't actually want people to die on TV. Or at least, I presume they don't. I mean, that could very well come into question as we dive deeper into this episode and actually start talking about Nassabee's prize life. You might... You might question that yourself at some point. I don't know. Anyway, it is also worth noting that there was a global version of this show as well, a global-based version, rather, called Dempa Shonen International, where challenges were flown to various parts of the world to complete various challenges, such as, and I kid you not, this is true, some of the challenges included singing the song Ladybug Samba to Yasser Arafat of the Palestine Liberation Organization, meeting foreign leaders like Jimmy Carter and Nelson Mandela just to tell them, I hate you, shaving the beard of Fidel Castro, and, uh, inheriting the will of Princess Diana. Yeah. I'll I'll give you a second to let that one sink in. If, by the way, you find yourself wondering, amongst all of that concise packet of what the fuckery, how the song Ladybug Samba goes, well, you are in luck, as I've managed to find an instrumental version of it which is being played by two Japanese women in what looks like the supply cupboard of your office. The women in question are called Nana and Maya. One of them has a flute, and the other has what looks like a portable yellow vocoder that she's holding like an accordion. I've no idea who is who. Presumably Nana's the one rocking the flute, but who knows? hearing that and you find yourself wondering oh I wonder what that song sounds like with actual vocals then you are in double look because here is the original version recorded and released by a singer named Cherish back all the way in 1973 Cherish here is accompanied by a fellow on guitar and to give you a visual image imagine if you will the Japanese version of Donnie and Marie Osmond and if you've no idea who the hell they are ask your mum Alright, alright, I realise I've gone a bit off track here, so let's bring it back to the topic at hand. Despite the scale and sheer absurdity of the show's other challenges, the version of shown, Shonen, which to this day is without a doubt the most infamous, for obvious reasons, as you'll soon discover, was the 1998 series, Prize Life. To pick the sole contestant of Prize Life, the producers assembled a large group of amateur comedians who were looking to break into television. They knew that they were applying to be a contestant on a show, but had no idea what that show was going to entail, or what it was that awaited them. I mean, if they did, I can only imagine most of them wouldn't have even bothered turning up. Instead of going through a typical audition or contestant vetting process, the producers set up a lottery system and the person who picked the unfortunate winning draw was a comedian by the name of Tomoki Hamatsu or as he was better known Nasubi which is the Japanese word for eggplant he got this weird nickname on account of him having a long oddly shaped face which apparently resembled an eggplant but it would go on to take a different meaning once the show hit the air as it was an animated eggplant that was used to hide his real eggplant if you get what i mean and if you don't Then I'm talking about his penis. After being selected, Nassabi was put inside of a car and was fitted with headphones and a blindfold before taking on a mystery trip. When the blindfold was removed, Nassabi found himself inside of a small apartment room. The producer of the show then told him to remove all of his clothes and hand them over. It was only at this point that the premise of the show was explained to Nasabi. Can a man live on competition prizes? alone. The producer left, closed the door behind him, and that was it. That was the beginning of Nasabi's new life. Inside the apartment room, there was a shower, a radio, a telephone, a gas burner, a sink, a large rack of magazines, a giant stack of postcards, a small table, and a single cushion. That's it. Anything else that Nasabi needed to survive, he would have to win. As prizes in various sweepstakes and he would only be released from the apartment the challenge would only end when nasabi managed to win one million yen in prizes which if you're wondering roughly equates to about ten thousand dollars or six thousand pounds so yeah he's starting with like basic utilities a gas burner and uh, you know a sink and a shower And he's got a huge rack of magazines, a giant stack of postcards, and he's expected to win everything he needs to survive by entering competitions. And it doesn't end until he gets to 1 million yen or $10,000, 6,000 pounds worth of prizes, which is a shit ton of prizes. Oh, and if this gargantuan, nonsensical bullshit task wasn't enough, he was being recorded the whole time. Not only that, but he was also being live streamed for a period of time and his weekly sort of antics, for lack of a better word, his his weekly desperation and struggle was then being edited into little eight to ten minute segments that were broadcasted on weekly television. And uh, oh, yeah, by the way, Nasabit didn't know any of this. He was under the impression that everything would be recorded in bulk and then aired upon his release. He had no idea that people across the country were watching his constant struggles on a weekly basis. Each weekly episode would start with Nasabi waking up, telling the camera what day it was, and then it would move into a sequence of him writing sweepstake letters and entering competitions before receiving whatever prizes he had managed to win that week. During that week of entering competitions and receiving prizes, and just basically going through the rigours of this This thing, this existence, all of his interchanging moments of sadness and frustration, they were accompanied in these TV episodes by comical sound effects and weird visual graphics that were to, I guess, emphasise the situation and essentially refashion his turmoil into humour. You know, you'd have studio laughter playing over the top of him singing to himself so he could keep his spirits up. You'd have studio laughter playing over him being naked, being angry, being sad being exposed in pretty much every which way imaginable Now for those that are genuinely infinitely curious These episodes are available to watch online On Vimeo and YouTube Of which I I must admit For this episode And out of my own sort of morbid infinite curiosity I have actually watched And if you are interested I will post links to two compilations on YouTube In the show notes of this episode So if you want to see it And I will say this, it does come with mixed feelings, which I'll get into in a little bit. Um, You can do, they are are there. Yeah, no, actually, let's touch upon it, because I did have very mixed feelings watching this. On one hand, it is undoubtedly fascinating, if not a completely messed up experiment. But on the other hand, it is genuinely sad. You know, in the pilot episode, when he wins the lottery, he seems over the moon to have been chosen as the contestant. He's so full of joy and life and surprise. In fact, as he's being led out of the audition room towards the car that'll take him to the apartment, he says to the producer something like, it's like I've had an entire life worth of luck in one moment. To which, I mean, it's pretty fucking dark when you think about it. Knowing what happens, as we'll dive into in in a little bit in more detail, and knowing that, Nassabee has no idea what awaits him at the other end of his car journey, and yet the producer is fully aware of where he's taking Nassabee and what is going to happen. Ugh. Yeah. In fact, watching the actual footage, really it really does press on your empathy. Yet at the same time, watching the different reactions, the questions, the emotions and behaviour of Nassabee, it does kind of make for a sort of demented, if not fascinating, psychological study. Like, for instance, when Nassabi is brought into the apartment and the producer asks him to hand over all his clothes, including his underwear, at first, he can't believe it. He's questioning the command, even to the point of saying, this is wrong, isn't it? You know, which is kind of part statement, part question, yet it's put forth amidst full compliance. (gasps) It might have this car. What, yeah? And when the producer explains to Nasibi that he has to do this and then he leaves him to it, at first Nasibi thinks it's a joke, but then within two hours he's rifling through the rack of magazines and starting his, his mammoth task. Speaking of... He quickly abandons the radio as a possible viable means to win prizes and instead sort of sticks with the magazine competitions and focuses on postcard entries for sweepstakes. And in the first episode, if you do watch it, you'll see this. You'll see him receive a cold call from a sales rep who's trying to sell, I think it's English lessons. And uh, he ends up talking to this woman for a full 30 minutes. Uh, (laughs) And I imagine... Any typical desire to get off the phone or tell them you're not interested as soon as possible is just thrown way out the proverbial window, especially when you're naked and alone and trying to win your freedom. I mean, even an unwanted sales pitch at that point becomes a sense of comfort and company. And it's funny because at one point, the woman even offers to come around to his house to talk more in depth about what it is that she's selling but, you know, obviously, that's not an option. See, I'm I'm kind of laughing now, I'm kind of chuckling, because it is kind of such an absurd situation, but at the same time, it genuinely, genuinely is cruel. It is a weird, weird thing. And as I say, if you do watch it, you know, I imagine, like me, you'll have mixed feelings. Outside of the saleswoman, his first point of actual in-person human contact since being left in the apartment by the producer comes when he receives his first prize, which is 12 pots of fiber jelly. And, like, this experience is just one of polar opposite feelings. Because he hears a knock on the door, and then he answers the door with a pillow covering his naked front. I mean, the dude looks genuinely ashamed and dejected. But then, as you would do, you know, if you're having to answer the door naked, and just, like, hiding your eggplant with a pillow... You know, you would feel, like, a sense of shame, I guess, unless you're a naturist, in which case you're just opening the door with it all hanging out. But he's <laughs> hes not. He's in this, this sort of pokey little sort of barren apartment with just his pillow to hide his shame. But once the guy goes away, it then transitions into like a childlike sense of joy when he receives the delivery. He's singing and he's dancing and, yeah, just a weird dichotomy of, of different Polar opposite emotions, which I imagine isn't even happening at separate times. I imagine them kind of occurring at the same time because this is the first person, as I say, since the producer that he's had any sort of contact with, you know, outside the woman on the phone. So, on one hand, it's got to kind of be somewhat euphoric to actually see another human being, but at the same time, you know, a a little bit devastating with it happening in that situation. Speaking of devastating encounters, oh boy, this is rough. So, later in that first episode, he gets another knock on the door. And, obviously, he's thinking and hoping that it's another prize that he's won. So, he approaches the door, pillow covering his eggplant. But when he opens the door, he finds it's not a prize. It is heartbreaking disappointment. The person that's been knocking on the door is a ramen delivery guy who's got the wrong apartment. And obviously because Nasibi hasn't ordered this and he certainly hasn't got any money to pay for it, the delivery guy isn't going to leave the ramen with Nasibi So he leaves and with him he leaves the, the smell of fried vegetables and ramen just wafting in front of a starving Nasibi Yeah. Nasibi actually wouldn't go on to win any food for quite a while. Instead he survived on water and the fiber jelly that he initially won to begin with. And eventually he would win a jar of meat sauce, but he didn't have a can opener to open it. He would also win a bag of rice, but he had no pot to cook it in. He tried eating the rice raw, but found that wasn't going to work. And then eventually he discovered a way to cook it over the gas burner using some of the fiber jelly he'd won earlier and had been sort of living on along with the water. In the grand spectrum of this cruel experiment, this is one of the worst components, watching a man literally go without food for so long. That is, if he did in fact actually go without food for all that time. As I mentioned earlier, accusations have been thrown at the makers of Denpa Shonen about interfering with the challenges, and honestly... You can only hope that whatever humanity they had left at this point would have prodded them into helping Nasabi out in this regards. I mean, they'd have to, right? Surely. I think I remember in doing research for this that I read somewhere that it was about two weeks that Nasabi went without any actual food. And I have a little bit of a hard time buying that. At least, like, the, the optimistic humanistic part of me has a hard time buying the fact that the producers of this show would let that happen for him to go two weeks i mean surely just in regards liability and you know avoiding the whole murder by slow starvation whilst being recorded thing they have to intervene at some point right i would hope so Anyway, I'm not going to go through every single episode or stage of this journey, but just to put things into a little perspective, by the end of February, so that's two months into this deranged project, NASA B had won himself 15,000 yen in prizes with a further 985,000 yen to go. Once again, to sort of put that in perspective, that roughly equates to $111 or £89 pounds at the end of two months. Food was a constant issue, and prizes like rice became increasingly valuable, but rice wasn't always an option. During his period in the apartment, Nassabi essentially survived for weeks, eating dog food. Fucking dog food. Jeez. As Nassabi's journey continues, you get to see more of the show's dark humour begin to blossom, mainly around his moments of delirious joy and anguish, but in particular the useless prizes that he begins to accumulate of which there are many at one point naseby wins a bicycle and although he's filled with that expected rush of endorphins that you might get at winning a bicycle or a prize in general it really kind of outside of doing a little damage to his overall total of prize winnings is kind of harmful in a way for the for the old mental's and the emotions because freely A bicycle, yeah, absolutely great prize for just somebody in a normal everyday situation, but a bicycle is pretty much useless for a naked man stuck inside of an apartment. Speaking of his nakedness, outside of food, obviously a key part of Nassabi's prize-winning strategy was to win some clothes so that he wouldn't have to be completely naked with his eggplant out for the duration of his television debut. So in the first episode, he attempts to win an apron, but finds himself shit out of luck with that one. In fact, he's pretty much shit out of luck in general when it comes to clothing. The only items of clothing that he manages to win during his 15-month stay in the apartment are a pair of women's knickers, but even those are too small, even for his spindly, and I mean spindly, wiry frame. He also wins a belt, a pair of Adidas shoes, which are also too small, and a pair of formal shoes, but honestly... What's the point of wearing shoes and nothing else? So essentially this fella is spending his entire time in the apartment stark bollock naked, which I suppose on one hand is very liberating, but at the same time it's not exactly ideal when your naked torment is being broadcasted across the country to millions. Yes, millions. Outside of the weekly TV segments, the producers of the show did try a sort of short-lived experiment where they would live stream NASA B 24 hours a day online. But his nakedness and his constant eggplant did cause issues because the, the large team of staff that was needed to move the on-screen eggplant covering his eggplants uh, was struggling, you know, as you would do. I mean, imagine having that as a job. You know, what do you do for a living, Timmy? Oh, there's this guy who's stuck in an apartment And he has to survive off things that he wins in (laughs) magazine competitions. Okay, bear with me. This is true. And every day we live stream him 24 hours a day. But because he's naked and we don't want people seeing his penis, we've got to cover it with an eggplant. And so I'm part of the team that moves the eggplant every time his penis moves into, into visibility. That's what I do for a living. I wonder what that guy is doing now, who's, I mean, who's just had that hypothetical conversation. I wonder where that's led him in his career. I mean, imagine sticking that on your Fing. <laughs> what TV experience do you have? What experience do you have in the industry? Oh, well, funny you should ask. Back in 1998. <laughs> anyway, back to Nassabee's one-man torment. Um... <laughs> He never actually won anything to trim his beard or clip his nails with either, so, you know, add this to his malnourished physique and the increasingly eccentric behaviour. You have pretty much a crystallised image of a man breaking down, physically, mentally and emotionally. Other prizes that NASA B would go on to win included movie tickets, again, completely redundant to say the least, and a television set which itself at first was also redundant because to avoid be finding out that he was in fact being broadcasted across the country, the apartment was fitted without an antenna or cable connection. Months later into the process, he would actually win himself a VCR and a couple of VHS tapes. I think one of them was um, just a people riding bicycles, kind of like the Tour de France, but for Japan. I mean, it was some sort of some Japanese bicycle team VHS type which, to be honest, I think I'd, I'd rather just do without. But hey, you know, I've not been spending countless months on my own eating dog food in the buff. So, you know, who knows? Maybe after months of that, that would probably be the best thing ever. That bicycle cassette tape. It was not a cassette tape, it's a VHS tape. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine winning just an audio cassette tape of people riding bicycles. If, if like, the experience hadn't tipped you over the edge at that point, I think just listening to that would, would send you, like, spiralling into an abyss for which you could never climb out of. Just <laughs> 90 minutes, 45 minutes beside side A and B, of course keeping to standard cassette tape uh, runtimes. 90 minutes of just people pedalling and ringing bicycle bells. Wow. I have also just realised that I have dated myself somewhat by talking about VHS tapes and the runtime of cassette tapes. If you don't know what either of those things are, then uh, ask your mum. Nassabee also won himself a PlayStation, so that was a good prize. Um, we're talking like a 1994 OG PlayStation here, for you next, 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 next next-gen gamers. And to go with this PlayStation, he also won a copy of the train simulator, Densha D. Go. I think that's how you pronounce it, but then again, who knows? Probably not. Anyway, after playing this train simulator um, for essentially three days straight, Nasabi realized that he'd actually stopped entering competitions, and as a result, was delaying his own freedom. Now, As somebody who struggles with both procrastination and high, almost obsessive levels of productivity, there is something pretty deep and profoundly metaphorical about this situation. Granted, I can't really vibe with the whole train simulator thing, but I can really vibe with the idea of a comforting, pleasant distraction. Sort of really pulling you away from the things that you want to do, the things that you want to accomplish, the things that you need to do from, you know, progressing into a future, which is rewarding. Uh, I, I really, for some reason, this really, really resonated with me. Now, obviously, I don't have the same frame of reference as NASA i I've never spent months on end stark bollock naked in an apartment, a tiny apartment where I have to win prizes to ensure that I survive and live. I've never had to do that. And then finding myself, you know, sort of distracted for 72 hours pretty much in a row by a train simulator, which is sabotaging my ability to earn my freedom and to live life outside of said apartment You know, a life of clothes and food and sanity. I've never experienced that, but I have found myself stuck in comforting distractions, which have pulled away from me doing things that would be good for me, that would help me build a better future. So yeah, as weird as it sounds, that resonated really deeply with me. As Nasibi continued to win prizes, he would keep making up countless victory songs and dances to celebrate, and watching these, the, again, there's a real multitude of feelings to them. These celebrations are often played out on these weekly TV episodes for comedy, and to reinforce a sense of positivity and support for Nasibi. and ultimately you can't help but feel pleased for him when you see him celebrating and doing these victory dances, especially when he gets a delivery of, say, beef or strawberries. But at the same time, there is also a weird melancholic feeling that comes with these victory dances and songs, especially when you realise that it's these impromptu moments that are keeping his spirits up during such what has got to be an absolutely devastating period of his life, You know, going through long stretches of not getting food or getting useless prizes of just being there on his own, completely isolated and disconnected, and uh, these are the things that are kind of keeping his head above water so yeah it's it's weird and conflicting to watch somebody show outbursts of such sincere gratitude whilst at the same time confined in such a such an awful hellish scenario. Five months into this awful hellish scenario and Nasibi receives the first of a few additional twists of cruelty to this. In the middle of the night, a producer for the show enters Nasibi's apartment and wakes him up. He then gets him to put on a blindfold with headphones and get in a car. At this point, Nasibi thinks it's over, but it isn't. Apparently what's happened is someone in the media has found out the address of the apartment, so the producers of Denpa Shonen have decided to move Nasibi. They take him on what is a multiple-hour car journey, again with blindfold and headphones, to a new apartment that has been kitted out to look exactly like the one he's just left, and it's filled with all of his previous prize winnings. Once inside the new apartment, Nasibi is left alone again, and the challenge continues. Now, if you're thinking at this point, that is absolutely devastating, hold tight, because that ain't shit. From this point, Nasibi becomes even thinner and hairier, and his demeanor becomes increasingly more irritable, despondent and angry, especially when the prizes that he wins aren't edible, obviously. In fact, his overall behavior becomes understandably more erratic. For example, at one point... There is a moment where, whilst blindfolded, he tries to smash a watermelon with a vacuum cleaner that he's won. He also starts praying, and I don't know how sincere this is, but he does start praying to a poster of a movie star. Yeah, this is... I mean, there are large sections of this. There are large segments of this entire show which are difficult to watch, but seeing somebody just kind of begin to unravel like that, uh, even though it's probably... I guess, in, in the same category as the Victory Songs and Dances, it's just him maybe goofing around to keep things light, to kind of keep his head above water. I don't know, because it's it's difficult to tell if it is just sort of light-hearted, um, spirited, self-perpetuated entertainment, or if it is just somebody beginning to to lose it a little bit. And it does kind of make it uncomfortable to watch to say the least. Having moved Nasebi to a second apartment, he goes through this really prolonged stretch of no wins whatsoever. It's a real drought, where he's getting no prizes delivered to the door at all. So, in their infinite wisdom, the producers of Denpa Shonen decide once again to move Nasebi to a different apartment. Only this time, they change the layout of the apartment, citing that Feng Shui might be the very thing to break his losing streak. And again, in a completely baffling response, Nasabi is actually grateful for the producers and their efforts to help him and embraces the idea that Feng Shui might be the very thing. But again, at this point, if you've been so entrenched in this, then, I I mean, it's difficult. It's really, I cannot make any comments on how this man responds because I've not been in that situation, nor do I want to. So I don't know if you were in that situation and you'd gone for so long without winning prizes, you may be, in fact, probably would be grateful for any efforts to try and break a streak of bad luck. If you believe in such things, I mean, even if you didn't being in a situation like that might actually change your opinion. On whether or not luck is an actual thing. Anyway. Whether you believe in the power of feng shui or not. After moving apartments again. Nassabi did actually manage to break his losing streak. And in doing so saw an influx of gifts being delivered to him on the regular. And by day 355. He finally managed to reach the target of 1 million yen. But how is it that the producers tell him of this monumental victory? Well. They snuck into the apartment in the middle of the night, hovered over him as he slept, and then woke him up with party poppers. There he was, poor lad, having gone through all of this. He's there, half asleep, confused, naked, and no doubt terrified as this producer prick is firing off party poppers. Honestly, what a dick move! What an absolutely shitty dick move! I mean, it's just... Producerの宿は続く。Oh. <laughs> it's it is a shitty way to break this news but at least i suppose nasabi's torment was finally over right wrong after being told that he was going to win a special prize for completing the challenge nasabi was once again blindfolded given a pair of headphones and then placed inside of a car when he took off the blindfold nasabi found he was in south korea He was dressed and he was fed and he was shown around South Korea before being taken to, yep, you guessed it, another apartment where, yep, you guessed it, these sadistic bastards told him to strip and hand over his clothes, which he did. He was then told that the challenge would start all over again, only this time it wasn't aiming for a million yen, but enough to buy him a one-way plane ticket Back to Japan. I mean, can you imagine after all of that to go through all of that and then to finally do it only to be taken to another new apartment in a different country and then told it's happening again. I can't even begin to fathom where this man's mindset was. I mean, I just I can't even begin to fathom his, his whole mindset for the entire thing, but to get to that point and then... Uh, to be fair, though, the producers did say that if he didn't want to do it, he didn't have to. But I guess, after all, for all intents and purposes, going stir-crazy and having your identity and self-esteem broken over the course of a year, an element of Stockholm Syndrome is probably going to kick in. I mean, it's easy for people to say, oh, well, why didn't he just walk away when given the chance? But none of us, again, going back to what I was saying just a little bit earlier, none of us have been in that position. And if we had, then we too might have just crumbled and continued. Unsurprisingly, it's in the South Korean apartment that Nassabi looks his most broken and unhinged. I mean, not, not just physically, but in his behavior. Like, he is just full of frantic joy upon receiving any and every parcel. Not even knowing what the hell's inside, but just the act of actually receiving it is it, like the joy that comes with that. That receiving of it is, is both a little disturbing and heartbreaking at the same time. And after several weeks of playing Korean sweepstakes and stacking up prizes, Nasabi reaches his target, but as soon as he does, those Dempa and dicks revise the rules again. This time the end goal is to afford a first-class ticket back to Japan. Once again, Nasabi agrees and continues. More competitions ensue and more prizes amount up and within a matter of weeks Nasabi hits his target. After a total of 15 months of this shit, it is finally over. But not before, one last twist. Nassabi is once again led out of the apartment by the producers, again with a blindfold and headphones on, and is led into, yep, you guessed it, another apartment. And in a truly, genuinely heartbreaking moment, Nassabi sighs before instinctively and automatically taking his clothes off. It's, yeah, like... It's rough. Naked and alone again, he sat there thinking, gee, I don't even know what. Nothing, presumably. At this point, at this stage, he must have been so mentally and emotionally depleted. And then in this moment of depletion, in this moment of free-falling even deeper into a pit of despair, without any warning, the walls of this brand-new apartment collapse around him and he's revealed, stark bollock, naked to a live studio audience of around 1000 people. This is hands down, truly horrific. It is awful to watch. And as as fascinating as I found some segments of the TV show, some elements of this as an experiment, this is horrific. And it is beyond humiliating. I mean, the whole experience in its grand spectrum is humiliating. But this is something else unsurprisingly, this poor lad is in complete and utter shock as confetti cannons go off and the audience gives him a round of applause. I mean, they're there, they're all laughing and happy and he's just totally mortified. I mean, remember, he had no idea that his prize life was being broadcast. He was under the assumption it was all being recorded in bulk and it would be released later down the line. He had no idea that people had been watching him, that he had become a celebrity. As far as he was concerned, his isolation and torment was private, but then it wasn't, because there he is, in the big reveal, about as exposed as anybody could possibly be. It's not just sincerely hard to watch, it's fucking gross. It's weird and horrible. Yet at the same time, it is strangely fascinating to see just how many people there are at such ease laughing at this in front of him, laughing at his shame, at his trauma. I mean, the man is completely naked and incoherent. He's dazed and he can't wrap his head around this weapons grade level of fuckery, yet his confusion only prompts the audience to laugh more. As a whole, prize life is an interesting, if not mean, and gross experiment. One that, at least on a subconscious level, probes the idea of humans dedicate so much time and energy to accumulate material goods. And in a way, not to put too much of a heightened spin on it, but you could look at prize life as a curious view at the overworked culture and capitalist boom of post-war Japan. What I find confusing about Prize Life, though, is the disregard of shame. It's not even a sense of disregard. In some senses, it is a sense of disregard, but in other ways, it's kind of like shame has become weaponized, and that is really crystallized in this final horrific twist where the audience is just laughing at this poor man who is in in such a vulnerable state. Yeah, it's it's not disregard of shame, I think, as it's more a, a sort of unusual amplification of shame, you know, a sort of polar opposite of what has sort of been at the root of traditional Japanese culture, which is, you know, tying back to what I was saying about this being a curious look at sort of post-war culture. Um, yeah, I, I wonder if... But i do I do have to wonder if um Nassiby had stayed in the apartment if he'd never tried to leave, if he continued going along with each cruel stage of this competition, if he did all of that because he was afraid of the shame that he would face if he left, you know if he had quit and decided to abandon the challenge and to abandon his pursuit of success, if he was afraid that that would become a shameful thing for him to carry with him for the rest of his life, you know being seen as a quitter. As somebody that gave up, and and if that is the case, then I wonder if the shame that he felt when those apartment walls fell down, and the shame that he felt when discovering millions of people had been watching his naked antics for over a year, if like how that shame would have kind of stacked up against the potential shame of of leaving and not going through all of that. I suppose it's a case of damned if you do, damned if you don't, but you've no way of knowing. What shame you would incur by doing, you know? It's it's weird, you know. In in his head, I I just wonder if he's set himself up to to feel preemptively ashamed for leaving, yet found himself just shamed to the nth degree for actually staying with it. Yeah, in terms of intent and identity, yeah, there's enough mixed signals there to give you the brain scramblies for good. As Prize Life was airing across Japan on a weekly basis, it broke TV records with a peak audience of 17 million viewers. And uh, the diaries that Nasabi kept during his time in the apartments, plural, also became a bestseller across Japan. And whilst digging into this and researching this episode, I have tried desperately to find an English translated version, but I have had no look so far. So on the very off chance that somebody listening knows where I can get a copy, please do let me know because I really would be interested to hear uh, Nassabi's version of this 15-month experiment. You know, we've seen what has been edited and produced and presented through Denpa Shounen, and he has spoken about his experiences to some degree, but I would be really interested to get his his real-time first-person perspective of this. So, yeah, if you know where I can get a English translated copy of uh, Nassab's Diaries, please do get in touch with me either on Twitter or Instagram at Foster. Going back to something I was talking about earlier in the episode, uh, another question I do have at the end of this is how much of it actually happened? How many of the prizes were legit and how many did the producers provide out of guilt? or even spite in terms of some of the useless, redundant prizes. Again, they are making a show with a narrative, and as we've seen in the boom of reality TV and beyond, not everything that we see on screen is authentic. In terms of the aftermath of Prize Life, in the initial aftermath, Nasabi reported that he felt hot and sweaty wearing clothes, and for the six months that followed his final release, he claimed to have had difficulty carrying on conversations, which. Is not surprising in the least, really. What is actually kind of interesting, and I did skip over it a little bit earlier, is on the day that he finally reached 1 million yen, on day 355, um, and it, when he was told that it had happened, that he was being released, that he'd completed the challenge, the producers actually gave him his clothes back. He tried them on, but because he had been naked for pretty much the entirety of the year... It just, it felt weird and, and I guess, kind of unnatural, so he took them off. In regards to the long-term aftermaths of prize life, the efforts that Nasabi went into to order to become a famous comedian, they were kind of fruitless, unfortunately. Over the years, he has managed to land roles in TV dramas and even a video game, but he never really managed to capitalise on his fame, nationally speaking. He did, however, become a local talent in his native Fukushima, as well as a dramatic actor during which he founded a stage troupe named the Eggplant Way, which toured across Japan. In 2016, after three initial unsuccessful attempts, he finally managed to climb Mount Everest in an effort to help generate awareness and financial support for Fukushima following the 2011 nuclear crisis. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, basically, in March, I think, of 2011, Um, A giant tsunami, was like 50 foot or something like that, disabled the power supply and cooling of three uh, reactors in Fukushima. Outside of his Everest expedition, uh, Nassabi seems to have also become somewhat of an advocate for nuclear awareness. And over the last year or so, he's been putting out a show called Nassabi's Questions, uh, which he uses to educate viewers on radiation related issues. And judging from these shows and his Twitter account, he seems to be doing well. I mean, I'm sure there's been a road to recovery of sorts. There has to be because that is just a lot of mental torment and what have you. You know, I'm sure that has not been an easy process to get to where he's at. But he does seem to be doing pretty well, which is lovely to see. I did try and dig into his, his general view of his experience on prize life and, and how he regards that period of his actual life. And really the only thing that I could find was that at one point he stated essentially that he was grateful for the experience and that at some point the producer apologized to him for what they did. And following that up, apparently the producer, a guy called Atoshio Tsuchia, again, pronunciation... Uh, Cannot be guaranteed on that. Um, Is stated to have said that he has no regrets and confirmed that he did, in fact, actually apologize to Nasibi. He also stated that his goal was to produce miracles on film, and with Nasibi and Prize Life, that is what happened. I don't know about miracles on film, but Nasibi's Prize Life was certainly something. It was a complex, cruel, somewhat grotesque, yet fascinating psychological and anthropological something, to say the least. But what is your take on it? Did you know this story beforehand? Is this been something that has been introduced to you? Would you yourself attempt prize life if given the opportunity? Have you actually watched episodes of the show? Should it have even happened in the first place? That is a good question to throw out there. And I would sincerely love to know your thoughts and feelings on nasibi his prize life, and all of that stuff. Dempa Shonen, all of it. Um, and again, the best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter or Instagram, where you can find me at I am Mal Foster. Before we wrap this story up and this season finale up, uh, an interesting side note to prize life is the... Uh, And there's no justification for it, I guess. But during his initial 355 stint in pursuit of 1 million yen, Nasabi actually set a Guinness World Record for the longest time survived on competition winnings. Now, to be fair, I don't know how many people had even attempted that record previously, if any. But it is a pretty cool thing to come out of it, despite what he had to endure. And... Digging into this is a little bit further, as far as I can see, that record still holds, and I would like to think that nobody is even going to try and attempt it. But then, I'm not exactly holding my breath on that one. Speaking of his prize-winning days, I haven't got a full list of prizes that Nasabi won, but if you are curious, I have put together a small collection of prizes that haven't been mentioned in the episode so far. Uh, and I thought it would be kind of a, an interesting way, maybe a little bit of a fun way um, to to round this story off. Uh, some of the prizes that NASA won included, but were not limited to an anime action figure, a Pokemon desk set, a globe, a discount ticket to the Spice Girls film Spice World, the movie, a vacuum cleaner, a tent, a set of tires, a cosmetic set, golf balls, a desk and chair set, a photo album of iconic Japanese wrestler Antonio Inoki. Toilet paper. Now get this. He got toilet paper after going 10 months without. So they gave him basic utilities, but they didn't give him any toilet paper. Upon receiving the toilet paper, the producers of Denpa Shonen, and this is, uh, to, to go to, to a real low point, the producers of the show aired the audio of nasibi unsuccessfully trying to take a shit. I mean, of course they did. They clearly hadn't put this man through enough. I mean, you've gone that far. Why not just beam that out into homes across the country? Uh, He also won a live lobster. Yep, a live lobster that was delivered in a box with what appeared to be wood chippings, but I'm not entirely sure, so don't quote me on that one. He also won a number of cases of sake. And yeah, there's something kind of wrong in regards watching a naked, lonely, vulnerable man getting pissed. It's a source of sustenance, I guess when food is scarce, but it only really adds an extra dimension of ick. Uh, He also won a soft toy, a seal that he named uh, Binasu, which became somewhat of a companion for the rest of his prize life and was even referred to as his sensei and his guardian angel. I mean, you've got to think about it. You spend so much time on your own in such dire circumstances. You do receive like a soft toy seal. You get yourself a stuffy and it probably does just become a genuine source of companionship, something to kind of at least, again, keep your head above water. Um, Yeah, Prize Life. It really was an anomaly, one that was utterly unique for good, but mostly bad reasons, and, and like I said earlier, I genuinely would love to hear your thoughts and feelings on it. I would also love to know if, based on this episode, that you have suggestions for other wild baffling and somewhat unethical but infinitely curious topics we can cover in the next season, whenever that may be. So before I do actually and finally call it a night on this season and wrap this finale up, um, a few things, a little bit of housekeeping if you will indulge me for just a few minutes. First and foremost, uh, we did hit a two-year milestone This year, which is kind of incredible. I had uh, no real foresight with what I was wanting to do with the show when I first started. I didn't at all imagine being two years in and having covered the wide, really diverse, varied spectrum of topics and guests that have been on this show. We've covered a lot in two years, and it is something that I'm extremely proud of that I've managed to put together an archive of of so many different things and it is a double-edged sword because we don't have a continued core audience that come back for a particular thing a sports team a tv show uh, what have you but having that non-committed nucleus to the show gives the show so much freedom to go in any direction that I feel works for it, that I think is interesting, and that I hope you find interesting as well. So, yeah, it's been a journey. You know, it's not always been the easiest of things to put together over two years, but it has become a great source of pride. And as always, as I say at the end of each episode, thank you for listening. If you've been with the show for the full two years, even if you've been with the show for just the last two episodes, or even if you've just found it based on this episode, it's genuinely, uh, your ears are very much appreciated and always will be. Um, If you want to know more about what we've been doing with the show, if you want to go find us on YouTube and Facebook and look at the merch and the the, the album of music I made for the show ages ago, all of the stuff related to dimed Down is included in the one link down in the show notes. You'll find it will uh, sort of tree branch you off In numerous dimed out related directions. So yeah. If you've enjoyed this. uh, And you want to explore further. Different mediums. Different things that we've been doing. uh, Yeah. Dive into that one link. And it will take you everywhere. Two last things. Before I do finally finish up. uh, Because I would be amiss. If I didn't touch upon these. For the longest time now. I've been asking. Or pestering. Or harassing. Or haranguing you guys. For a haiku review. And uh, I finally have one. I finally have one. And it has just filled me with so much joy. It comes from Andy, who is a longtime friend. I say long time; It's been nearly, if not two decades that I've known Andy. Um, and it goes like this. All right, gang, what is happening? This podcast rules. That's what's happening. It's my first favorite above and beyond average thing to listen to. Lovely review. Love it. And I love the fact that there's a little Easter egg in there. Above and Beyond is a show that me and Andy used to do together. Andy would come round to my house and we'd record it like real bare bones, um <laughs> like minimal equipment in my mum's living room. And we would just have so much fun and just laugh at a number of ridiculous things. And uh, yeah, those are, those are very long-lasting happy memories recording above and beyond. So the fact he's managed to fit that in as an Easter egg makes that haiku review even more special. I also have Andy to thank actually for the the episode artwork for this season. If you've noticed, it's been a little bit different for season four and that's because I've been using an app that Andy actually recommended to me which was called Wombo but is now called Dream. That's what you can find it in. Uh, the app store as, is Dream. And basically, it is an AI art generator. So for each episode from this season, I've taken some keywords for what that episode's about, and I've produced a piece of AI art based on different styles that I think would fit. So without Andy telling me about um, Wombo, or as it's now known, Dream, uh, we wouldn't have those those rather interesting pieces of episode artwork. So thank you, Andy. It's also just really fun to use in general. I've been making pieces of AI-generated art based on the dreams that I've had and that I can remember, and some of them are just really weird. And on that note, that about does it for this episode and this season. Yeah, um, again, I don't know when our paths will cross again, but it will happen at some point. I just gotta put a few other things ahead as priorities for a little while and uh, get some other stuff done. But uh yeah, we will be back and we will continue exploring strange and unusual and fascinating and engaging and perspective shifting topics and talking to guests with incredible stories. That is very much the uh, the, the bread and butter for what I'm doing here. Uh, and I really want that to continue whenever it is that we do pick up the microphone again. But uh, in the meantime, you know, as I said before, as always, sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening. Look after yourselves, look after each other, and until next time, whenever that may be, keep it Dimed Out.